And welcome to episode four of Mother's Ruin Podcast. Hope you're enjoying so far. What have we got in store this week, Sarah? It's, it's a very exciting episode this it week. It better be. It is. So, for example. So, for example, um, we're going to bring the timeline in the history of Jin up to the present day. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we've also got a very special guest on the show. Yes, we do. I am very pleased to announce that we have got Ben Crompton, others... Mere Norm as Edison Tollett from Game of Thrones. From Game of Thrones. Ooh. One of the longest running characters on the show. Yeah, Niels. Not, yeah. Even, not even dead yet. Yeah, he's a... Or maybe he's ever. We don't even know. We don't know. Um, so he's uh, a member of the Night's Watch. Yes, he is. And also features in 102 Dalmatians, which he hates me talking about. <laughs> and Pramface. And... Ideal Strike. Oh, God, he's been in so many things. Yeah. Um, so we've managed to uh, managed to bag a guest appearance from him, um, and we have such a lovely man. He's a lo- he's one of the nicest men a that you'll ever man. meet. Yeah. Yes, um, and funny. I and... trust him with my wall. Uh, yeah, yes. absolutely. I trust, I trust him to fend off the army of the dead. Yes, from uh... from my wall. <laughs> Yeah, so for this bit, we've teamed up with our friends from Game of Thrones Cocktails. You'll find them on Instagram. Uh, and they have created uh, Edison Tollett, his very own Night's Watch-themed cocktail, which we can't wait to make and we can't wait to try. Gin, gin, gin. Yeah. So it's a very, uh, it's a very, very exciting episode. Strap in. Woohoo! Well, Sarah, it's time for more history. It is. It's, it's part four of the timeline. And this is this is the last part of the... I'm going to jingle for this bit when I jingle. History time. Really? That's, that's what you're going to go for? We'll go Jingle, gone. It, it, it is history time. But yeah, like I say, this is the last instalment. So um, it doesn't mean that's the end. It just means that after this week, we're going to start delving a little bit deeper. Hmm. Into some of the, the we've, be, we've basically just skimmed every single aspect of it. It's been like a, a whirlwind yeah. tour. We'll give, we'll give you a little, little hint, a little taster, and then we're just going to come back in and we're going to pick up on all our favourite bits from yeah. the history of gin. Yeah, exactly. So this, this part of the story is going to take us from the mid-1800s and then up into the present day. So we're in the Victorian era, mm-hmm. uh, and Spirit and Juniper have proved themselves quite the unstoppable twosome, mm-hmm. uh, having become gin... Britain's one of Britain's most popular alcoholic drinks, and they've enjoyed together. They've enjoyed, you know, grain shortages, prohibitive laws, changing fashions, and oh, they've emerged together like victorious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> although we probably shouldn't talk about alcohol and Ant and Deck. No, probably shouldn't. Yeah. But now in this chapter, they're going to become a mighty trio. Ooh, a mighty trio. Mm. Like. Bonnie and Clyde and and the car that they drove yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like, like that. Like Pac-Man and Mrs. Pac-Man and... Baby Pac-Man? No, was there a baby Pac-Man? I don't know. Think of a famous trio. Uh, oh, <laughs> literally the Alabama 3 came to mind. Alabama 3, <laughs> the singers of the Sopranos. Uh, theme tune, that horrible biscuit from back in the day. Yeah. Trio. <laughs> so who? So what do you think is going to enter the mix today, Matthew? Who's, who's the well, player? if it's gin... And so we've got juniper and spirit, which makes gin. juniper and spirit. So we've got gin there. <laughs> it's only bloody obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Water. 
It's not water. It's not. It is water of a certain type. I totally knew it's tonic. Mm. <laughs> oh, you've been stringing me along yeah. all this time. How's the wool feel over those eyes? <laughs> it is tonic. Yeah. Tonic water is now going to step into this heady cocktail and they're about to take on the world as a trio. But speaking of cocktails... Um, we're also going to see some other ingredients enter the mix. Now that gin has changed in flavour quite significantly, mm-hmm. it's stopped being this really heavily sweetened... Like industrial, industrial runoff. Industrial yeah. runoff, yeah. And, and now, as we spoke about last week, since the invention of the coffee still, gin has now yeah. um, become what it essentially is today. Yeah. This new London dry... Uh, gin has been invented and it's much more subtle mm-hmm. um, and it, it lends itself much better to being mixed with, with other things. Yes. Um, but before we talk about what's inside the bottle, mm-hmm. I just want to say something about the gin bottle in this era. So the middle of the 19th century approaches and gin has started to move into the shops now and respectable shops at that. You know? Oh, right, so you can't serve it the way you used to serve it out of... Out of a lead tube, out of a cat poster. <laughs> a gin tube. Gin yeah. tube. Um, yeah, or, you know, it's still probably being served from um, casks in, uh, you know, in the gin palaces and, and in, the, in the taverns. But it's also moving into the department stores. For, for posher folk. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the old slogans of, you know, dead drunk for tuppence, is, it's not going to it's not gonna sit well with the Victorian shopper. No, they're going to need something a little bit nicer, aren't they? Like, yeah. But, like, the bottles, I mean, nowadays are, like, beautiful. Absolutely. Like, so. Hendrix, for example, is a good example. Everyone knows what the Hendrix bottle looks like. It's it's part of their image, isn't it? Oh, it looks like it's on a Victorian apothecary shelf. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely gorgeous. I'd say it's next to samples and leeches on the doctor's, yeah. uh, on the doctor's shelf. Uh, yeah, and you sent me an amazing gin bottle the other day. Did it have a little jacket on? It had a little jacket on. It had a little uh, win- uh, un- Canadian gin, it was, Ungava. Oh. Right, yeah, had a little yeah. duffel coat on. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. I mean, that's that's literally. I mean, that is silly. It's but almost it's, too that's far. A, like a, that would be like a gift thing, you know, like when you get the Hendrix teacup sets and stuff. Yeah, but like there's other ones like yeah, there's an Irish gunpowder gin. Oh, with the ridged. Yeah, uh, and it's got beautiful, bottle. beautiful old Victorian drawn of the hair on it. So, and this is this is where it all sort of started, really, um, as. Not only was gin moving into the shops, duties were also cut on spirit exports. So, you know, many of the companies that started to emerge around this time also became global players. So, yeah, now it was being exported around the world. So a lot of careful attention was paid to the packaging and to the marketing. And that's, that is the legacy of, of this kind of era. And, you know, meanwhile, Britain was also kind of wielding its muscle over in the uh, over in the colonies but yeah so what were we up to over there yeah so we, well we defeated napoleon <laughs> sit down napoleon <laughs> sit down little guy <laughs> um and we'd also moved in on the colonial territories of the dutch whose golden age was, was oh, pretty much over slightly more time. sinister also but yeah you know you say sinister and that that's definitely something that i kind of want to draw attention to in this episode because you know what gets me is that the, the kind of the grubby, pox-ridden years of the gin craze are everyone considers the worst. Yeah, I it imagine draws it. the most negative attention, and um, you know, perversely, it's this part of gin's story that I think is is actually much darker. It's much darker. Like, like there's something sinister about like the the pictures you see of back then, like uh, the massive colonies out in India with the. the, the Looks in what looks like cricket whites. Oh, absolutely. To, and, and the women with the parasols. Yes, yeah, sipping iced cocktails in, yeah. the, in the, you know, while, in the While they're fetched by people that basically have been enslaved. It's yeah. despicable. Yeah, so, you know, it's hidden beneath this polite facade of 
what was known as Britain's imperial century, the, the 19th century. It's a lovely way of saying horrific, isn't oh, yeah. it? Imperial. Yeah. Um, you know, another factor that was influencing the history of gin was not only the fact that we were now exporting around the world because of the size of the British Empire, but also we were adapting to tropical climates ourselves, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we were going on long sh- ship voyages that, that we perhaps hadn't endured before. I would have lasted five minutes. Oh, I mean, you're a terrible... Sea- I'm the w- sea, I've got no you? sea legs. I mean, yeah. I was chucking stuff up from when I was seven last time I was on a ferry. <laughs> it was like He-Man figures and stuff and yeah. Play-Doh. yeah. I'm terrible in the sunshine. And, and I'm guessing we would probably both not fare particularly well with malaria. No, malaria. I love malaria. I'd be all right with that, I think. <laughs> but no, malaria was a huge problem. You know, it caused these relapsing fevers, delirium, usually death. Oh, um, that is a nasty symptom. Yeah. And this malaria wasn't a new problem in the Victorian era. I mean, long before now. Explorers. Yeah, you know, explorers had... Livingston, I presume. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Spanish missionaries in South America had learned of the anti-malarial qualities of the bark of the chinchona tree. Chinchona, what a lovely word. Isn't it? It's like a Mexican food, isn't it? Yeah, although if you ordered uh, chinchona from a menu, you'd be pretty disappointed because it tasted absolutely disgusting. Yeah, I've been to some pretty dodgy Mexican restaurants. Uh, you there. say that, but you know, it was it was pretty bad. Um, but the tree itself was really cool. Um, so this, <laughs> it was a cool tree. It, but it was a really cool tree. And, you know, explorers who went to hey, man. gather the bark. Yeah, hey, dude. Hey, hey, leaf it out. Leaf it out. <laughs> hey. I apologise profusely. I'm a professional comic. That should never have come out of my mouth. I am appalled with myself. We'll move on. Yes, please. Yeah. But um, it was a cool tree. It stood, it was really tall. It was taller than all its neighbours. stood head and shoulders above the rest. It had these massive ridged um, green, amber and, and red leaves. And uh, its bark had really important medicinal properties. And when you pulled the bark away, if you looked at the bark under ultraviolet light, um, it glowed with this kind of fluorescent blue colour. I believe the gin does that now, or gin and tonic does that now if you are at a club because i'm always in the club <laughs> club. <laughs> i say club because i'm friends with fiddy and i've got gin and tonic and there's uv lights on it looks like i tell you what it looks like you know on their blue planet where algae gets disturbed yeah and it, and it lights up i guess gin and tonic glows in uv light that's really interesting yeah that'd be great because yeah where, where are victorians getting uv light from <laughs> good point I'm not entirely sure. Maybe this was discovered later. So that's interesting that uh, gin and tonic glows under UV light Mm -hmm. and so does this uh, chinchona bark because they obviously share a common ingredient, Mm -hmm. which is... I am going to guess quinine. That is quinine, yeah. yeah. Quinine was one of the only malaria cures or treatments available at the time. Is it actually a treatment though? Or was it just their yeah. folklore? No, it, it actually worked. No, right. yeah. The only problem with quinine is that it doesn't... Because didn't they used to bleed their own heads if that headache? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking morons. <laughs> yeah, very true. I mean, there were some dodgy Victorian yeah. cures. But no, quinine was actually an effective treatment. It didn't necessarily cure malaria. It didn't always cure malaria. It could probably save your life, mm. but it wouldn't necessarily eradicate it from So it stave off the symptoms a bit. But the, the bark extract, uh, like I say, was nauseatingly bitter, mm. and it wasn't soluble in water. Mm-hmm. But 
when mixed with uh, alcohol. Oh, yeah. fancy. They'll get, yeah. tell you what we should try, lads. <laughs> yeah. Don't know how they discovered yeah. this, but it did become uh, soluble in alcohol and alcohol made it more palatable. So it was in high demand and, and in... You know, earlier centuries, Western powers had battled to, you know, gain a monopoly on on um, this chinchona bark. Really? Yeah. It was like wars over chinchona. Well, not wars, there but was like certainly some fracas. Uh, fracas, great word. Yeah, and you know, pirates were equally as inclined to take off with your chinchona stash <laughs> as they were to take off with your gold. <laughs> That's a bit your ho ho and a gin and tonic. Yeah. That's not the same, is it? No. <laughs> That was a key development, and uh, another challenge facing voyagers was nutrition. Um, so, you know, long ship journeys that could take weeks and weeks and weeks made it very difficult to keep a fresh supply of food. Mm -hmm. And as a result, scurvy, um, which is a disease that's caused by a lack of vitamin C. Is that um, why your legs go weird? Um, no, that's, um, that's rickets, rickets. I think, which, is a, which is caused by vitamin D deficiency. Oh my word. Yeah, but uh, scurvy, you'd get, you know, you'd get sores on your tongue, bleeding in your mouth, um, fatigue, it would eventually kill you. And that was caused by a lack of vitamin C. And that was causing, that was killing more British soldiers than the enemy at this time. Really? Yeah. It was a huge <laughs> problem for us. So, oh, oh. Oh, the problem was that the our enemies were absolutely terrible at fighting. Yeah. Well, it was it was a it was Napoleon. Yeah. Oh, any oh. Napoleon fans in? Come at us. <laughs> Not even scared of you. Are there? Is there such a thing as a Napoleon fan? Probably, and probably. they probably drink vodka. Yeah, like oh, idiots. One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent vodka fan. Or probably more like brandy. But yeah, so ships started carrying lemon and lime juice. And, and and very important to beating scurvy, but scurvy, <laughs> scurvy. I've just got to do a quick scurvy <laughs> with you. Uh, have your gums been bleeding recently? Yes, okay, I'll put that down. So, yeah, ships started carrying uh, lemon and lime juice, and they found that lemon and lime juice could be better preserved, again, In a, when... The so exper the, 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 the experiments with any other kind of uh, preservation, no? Yeah. Put them in salt, uh, no, 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 cold water, no. no. Alcohol, that'll do, yeah. Yeah. So we've got this this introduction of citrus and we've got this introduction of quinine. Um, and so tonic waters and citrus cordials really started to kind of blossom as a consumer product throughout the, the 19th century. And in 1867, it became a legal requirement for the Navy to provide a daily lime ration to its sailors. Of course, that's the American uh, nickname for us. Good point, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, limeys. Mm -hmm. So the Navy was uh, making it illegal. Not to have limes. Yeah, yeah. So we've so we've started to get all of. Sounds like a crazy lot. It is illegal not to have a lime. He was found without a single lime on his person. <laughs> to the hangman's noose. <laughs> so yeah, and um, in the same year as this became a legal requirement, one uh, chap from Edinburgh named Lachlan Rose patented a recipe for concentrated lime cordial. Rose, ah, oh, is that the Rose's cordial? Yeah, indeed. Right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and then meanwhile, uh, expats over in India started to take their quinine in the form of an Indian tonic water. See, I always wondered where that came from. Really, yeah. But it originated, obviously, yep. in the Indian colonies. Yeah, absolutely. And then in 1875, um, one Robert Barr created a quinine-flavoured drink. Barr? Yeah. Is that the Barr drinks? Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah, so it was, it was initially called Strachan's Brew and then later Just changed its name to no, Iron Brew. Really? Yeah. That's Iron Brew? Yeah, so Iron Brew used to be a quinine tonic. Wow. That was, yeah. I don't think this would have been that popular with the Scots back then. I think we should uh, mix Iron Brew with gin. 
and taste it on a future episode. Gin and iron brew? Yeah. I'll see if I can find a Scottish friend to uh, get on. Yeah. We'll, we'll deal with that. Yep. Okay. It's on. So we've started to see the relationship between citrus quinine and alcohol starting mm. to forge and making their way from the ships and from the colonies and into our homes and our drinking establishments and our shops. So we really see this commercialisation of tonic waters, cordials, bitters, mm -hmm. etc. Now, let's take a trip over to America, see Yay. what's going on over there. Because this history... Oh, metaphorically. Yeah. Devoured. <laughs> <laughs> but this, this history has been quite Anglo or British-centric. Uh, so... We're going to have a look and see what's going on over there. So, whiskey and beer were the kind of the tipples of choice over in America, really. We weren't really gin drinkers during this era. Uh, but by the 1860s, several states had started to act, enact um, prohibition laws. So, yeah, so we'd seen this sort of gradual creep of prohibition. And then by the 1880s, the temperance movement was really starting to take off. So activists would, you know, burst in, into saloons and start smashing bottles and singing and praying and trying to dissuade people from drinking. I imagine that would go down really well on a weather spoons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just come and have a pray. <laughs> come on, everyone. Look, put that down. It's nine in the morning. Let's have a good old prayer. Better than whiskey on a morning, it's sun. <laughs> I am the Lord of the dance, <laughs> <laughs> and that was the prey group who died today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because during the gin craze in London that we'd seen, you know, much earlier, um, there'd been quite there'd been quite a lot of focus on the dangers of uh, women drinking. You know, so they'd they'd looked at you know they thought that women were getting drunk and flaunting their sexuality and abandoning their children. Um, but as calls for prohibition started to grow. One of the key arguments in the US was that booze was causing husbands to be violent towards their wives. Oh, so it was a flip reversed from women being animals into men being animals. Yeah, and, and obviously none of the shades of grey in between. But uh, the campaigners finally got their way in uh, 1920. So it had started in the 1860s and this debate had raged on up until 1920 yep. when the 18th Amendment, i.e. Prohibition, finally took effect. Seeing anyone even suggest that these days, isn't it? Yeah, well, like we'd seen last week, you know, temperance movements had started to grow in the um, in Britain during the kind of early eighteen uh, hundreds, uh, and they just hadn't worked. I mean, they'd been they they'd managed to get some concessions and some licensing laws brought in, but we were never going to really mm. get a prohibition over here. But yeah, going back to the American side of things, I mean, you might think that prohibition would hinder the plight of gin. Being illegal. Being illegal and all that. But gin's a sneaky bugger, isn't it? Isn't it? So yeah, it actually had the opposite effect. Oh, gin. Yeah. You know what you're up to. <laughs> so, you know, we've all heard of moonshine, right? Moonshine was used to refer to bootlegged alcohol, mainly in the southern states. But then in the northern cities, bootlegged alcohol was generally referred to as bathtub gin. Mm. So gin, gin became the drink of the speakeasies and just like we'd seen in London over a century and a half earlier, gin became this underground, you know, forbidden, exciting drink. Yeah, like you know. artists and, and flappers and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, very much the artist's drink. So again, again, like we'd seen with Shelley and Byron and the Romantic Poets, mm -hmm. this was happening again over in the States. So throughout the Roaring Twenties... You know, the likes of, likes of F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway, they were escaping off to Paris and, you know, Europe. 
to spend their time in the bars and cafes writing and drinking gin and, and partying. Oh, God, it sounds such fun. So much fun. I bet it was so much fun back then. Just like on a la- it, all the music would have to be live for a start. Yeah. Because the iPods were rubbish then. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have Bluetooth, so they couldn't even put them onto a speaker. So you just had this tinny iPod playing music. The headphones were annoying. Yeah, exactly. Just right. ear horns. Steam powered. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be someone winding it up. So, yeah, I mean, what with that? I mean, have all live music all the time, just strongest gin you can possibly imagine. Yeah. But the sad thing is that um, towards the end of the kind of the, the, the golden age, you know, the, the 1920s, you know, these writers really started to, to fall into kind of personal decline. And, and obviously Ernest Hemingway uh, ended his own life and F. Scott Fitzgerald um, died very, very young, I think from a heart attack, but, you know, yeah. not Pro- helped probably due to his Probably due to his lifestyle, yes. Yeah. And his beautiful wife, um, Zelda, who was also a kind of icon of this era. What a name. Um, yeah, she ended up being admitted to a psychiatric hospital and, and very sadly dying in a, in a fire in the hospital. So they They put you in hospital back then for anything, though, didn't they? I remember there's a list of uh, things... Oh, that, yeah. Well, if you were they... a single mother, you could be committed to a yeah. uh, what they would refer to as an insane asylum. Yeah, like menstruating women. Yeah, <laughs> no. Stuff like that. Yeah, so a lot of these writers who um, enjoyed their heyday in the 1920s, drinking gin and writing and um, partying, met very sad ends later in life. But gin emerged pretty victorious from this era. <laughs> so uh, Prohibition ended in 1933, and then and gin... Then, in the in kind of the following few decades, started to become the you know the the companion of the modern metropolitan drinker. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't long, of course, before it started making its way into Hollywood. Yeah, it's, that's probably the coolest drink, though, isn't it? So yeah. yeah, of course, it's going to be in Hollywood. Yeah, and often in the form of you know cocktails and mm-hmm. James Bond sipping his. Vodka and gin martinis. Vodka. Yeah. Whatever, mate. Yeah. Call yourself tough. Eh? Just because you've got a licence to kill. Eh? Licence to kill yourself with... Uh, licence to kill your taste buds. Yeah. Licence to kill flavour. <laughs> yeah. um, but often you would drink gin martinis as well. Yeah. Um, Clark Gable with his dry martinis in... Uh, after office hours, and of course uh, Humphrey Bogart in of all of the gin bars in all of the world, you know. Yeah. Um. He, I think in Casablanca it was a French was seventy-five mm. that he. Why did you walk into this one? Yeah. Probably the closest one. It was cheap. Yeah, cheap mate. Yeah. So this was kind of a a real golden age for gin. So the stigma was gone, really. Mm. You know, it had gone from you know old beggars drinking it in the gutter to. Humphrey Bogart uh, yeah, on silver screen. Pretty much the exact opposite. Yeah, exactly. But it's quite sad because then in the latter half of the 20th century, both gin and tonic kind of lost their mystique a little bit. Mm. Oh, wait, yeah. I mean, it's literally just started to come back up again from being what, a nana's drink. Yeah, I mean, do, you know, who's the most famous gin drinker in British popular culture in the 20, in the you know the late 20th century? Probably Dot Cotton, you know. In the, <laughs> Glam. In the yeah. Um, and I'm a gin. Yeah, that was exactly. my impression of her. Can you do one? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll save you the time. No, you can't because you can't do impressions. 
Oh bloody hell! I'll have a gin and tonic, please, Peggy. That was the that was your crone voice from was the it? last episode. Absolutely appalling impressions. Uh-uh. What was that? Gin and gin and tonic, please, Peggy. She's got her deep voice. That's her brother, yeah. Or... <laughs> Kenneth Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of a bit passé. Um, throughout the sort of 70s, 80s, 90s. And a lot of the tonic that was available was made with artificial quinine. And, the, you know, the mainstream outlets kind of stocked a few sort of stalwart brands that had stuck around. Um, and they weren't they weren't necessarily, you know, bad. bad. Yeah. It was just that they were few. To be honest, the, the, I think the, the stalwart gins of the day back then would have been a much better quality than they are now because they didn't have to make as much. Quite possibly. That is my thing. Gin fact. Gin fact. Gin fact. When when gin is passier, the lesser brands get better. Um, but then, kind of at the turn of the twenty first century, you know, our, this idea of kind of artisanal gin started to come back into style. Yummers. So, who do you think pioneered the renaissance of gin? Which brand? Me. We've talked about oh. them today. Have we? Mm. We've talked about their bottle. Hendrix. Yeah, and um, we've got a lot to thank Hendrix for because. They so they launched in 1999, you know, and they they kind of brought back the you know, like we've said earlier, they had this this gorgeous apothecary style yeah. bottle, and um, they had this quite a nice subtle blend of obviously juniper, but then they used cucumber and rose extract. Hendrix was my first, like I used to drink gin a lot with my mother. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, because she was a massive gin fan. Yeah. She made her own. What was her? Her favorite was she used to put mango juice in it. Yeah. And she used to call a cocktail uh, Minjango. 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 Uh, <laughs> that, that was her favourite drink. But Hendrix was the first like upmarket one I tried. And that yeah. was when I was doing a gig uh, at the Cambridge Ball. Oh, wow. And uh, there was a Hendrix stall there. Yeah. And I went, what is it? He says, oh, it's, it's a gin and you're supposed to drink with cucumber. Now, I am appalling at vegetables. Yeah, you are. Uh, so I just went, okay. And he says, put cucumber in it. I don't want that. He says, seriously, just... Give it a try. I went, yeah. all right then. And that's when my... Your love of that, That's my love of just took off. Yeah. I was just like, this is incredible. Yeah. I can pick, pinpoint that yeah. as a time I genuinely thought, well, nothing beats gin. Like. And that's really interesting because I think that's probably quite universal. A lot of people probably did that. And yeah. Thought, Hang on a second. Yeah. Gin is really freaking good. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sip Smiths was the next... That is a very good gin as well. Also a very good gin with a lovely bottle with the, the, with the swan. Yeah, the swan on the side lovely and the um and the wax swan. the wax seal. Yeah, that's really bloody difficult to get into. Yeah, what's the taste of Sipsmiths like? I've definitely had it, but I can't. Very, very, very botanical. It's, uh, yeah. Very. Uh, it's 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 like walking into a little greenhouse. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like uh, taking a deep breath in a greenhouse. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. So then, you know, after Sipsmiths came a flurry of other kind of independent manufacturers and each with their own, you know, production methods and blend of botanicals. And then, then came Fever Tree Tonic in 2004. Is that how old it is? 14? Yeah. Goodness me. But I think it's only started to become available in really mainstream outlets, probably in the last maybe three years. I've already noticed it being this prevalent in the supermarkets recently yeah with the big gin craze that's going on at the minute yeah i think i tried it for the first time maybe a couple of years ago and i think the first one i tried was the uh elderflower mm. tonic water and i was like 
oh my god, this is like no tonic water I've ever yeah. tasted in my life. Then, you know, tonic started to also become this, this sort of artisanal product. So, and now, obviously, uh, I don't need to say a great deal about where we're at now, but we are perhaps at the... Thousands of gins. Thousands of gins, dozens of tonics. It's, it's. We've never had a better time in history for gin because oh, God, no. even even though gin perhaps had equal or greater popularity back in you know the the sort of seventeen thirties, the 1740s, options of that, you know, it was gut rot and, yeah. and it was killing us, and mm-hmm. and now it's it's back in back in style and yeah. it's it's absolutely beautiful. So mm-hmm. here we are, present day, present day, yeah. yeah. So yep, that's that's where we are at the minute, and everyone's happy. Gin news. Gin and Chronic. Snoop Dogg breaks gin cocktail record. Tommy Tipsy. A 12-year-old served gin on an internal flight. And Soup Kitch Gin. Savoury gin released. Gin and Chronic. Snoop Dogg has broken the world record for the largest gin and juice ever made. He made the huge drink, named a Paradise Cocktail, at the Bottle Rock Napa Music Festival. With Warren G. Remember him? He was there probably performing all of his hit. And Top Chef Season 6 winner, Michael Voltaggio. The cocktail was 132 gallons. He used Hendrix gin. Good choice there, Snoop. 180 bottles of the stuff. Good Lord. 154 bottles of apricot brandy. And 38 jugs of orange juice. That's a lot of booze. Tommy Tipsy, a 12-year-old boy, was given gin on a Jetstar flight from Brisbane to Denpasar. He was given a double gin and squash. The airlines say that there was a mix-up when the drinks were stored in the back of the plane for safety after a bit of turbulence. After giving the other customer the boy's drink and that customer confirming it was indeed their drink, the child got the gin. To which he said it was yucky. Little bit of confusion. Hell on. The child's family was offered $400 worth of flight vouchers as compensation, but they're after more, as the child developed hair fever-like symptoms afterwards. Definitely weepy eyes. We all know someone that drinks too much gin gets weepy eyes. And perhaps waving a shoe in the air at a taxi and saying, he's not worth it, I'm glad he finished us anyway, that kind of thing. And uh, what I'm more concerned about is not... I mean, obviously it's concerning that a child got his hands on alcohol, but what I'm more concerned about is... What grown adult asks specifically for gin and squash? Nobody drinks that. Well, sorry, youngster, but to tell you what, could have been worse. Could have been vodka. And soup kitsch gin. Fruit and gin is great. We've all tried uh, We've all tried fruit and gin raspberries, for example. Lemon and lime goes without seeing grapefruit, blueberries, that kind of thing. However... Tanqueria has decided to release a savoury gin. A kaflar. Apparently, yeah, it's good for adding to salads, soups and stews. And if you're going to drink it as a drink, it's best served with Prosecco, lemon juice and celery syrup. Celery syrup. Let that sit. Celery syrup. What kind of world are we living in? It doesn't sound like it's for me. I'm going to allow Sarah to perhaps try that if we can get a of one of the hundred thousand bottles that's out there i think the closest i'm going to allow my gin to get the vegetables is 
on me cornflakes. And we've got a very special Mother's Ruinal recipe section today. We're going to create a cocktail of a very specific kind. Isn't that right, Sarah? Yeah, so basically we've got a Game of Thrones themed cocktail going on today. Why, was, why is that? Well, we have a very special guest on the show today. Yes, we do. Ben Crompton. Hello, Ben. Hello, Matt. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Yep. Ben's all off the telly. Yeah. Ed Tollett. In, in Star Trek, I oh, understand. Oh, here we go. Here we go. This, this is, we're off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, well, he fought Gandalf. Um, oh. What? I don't watch this crap. Fantasy enthusiast, <laughs> Matt Reed. <laughs> yeah. So he's usually seen wearing uh, crow feathers and... Uh, and looking very dashing. Mm. And looking very dashing. Yeah, considering what you look like now. Oh, God, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, You obviously have a harder life on the thrones, but you, I mean, somehow you look more scruffy in real life. Oh, do, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh. terrible stuff. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> More Stig of the Dump yeah, than, yeah, than, exactly, than, than yeah. Game of the Thrones. Game, Game of, of, of the, the Thrones. Thrones. He doesn't Game even know what his own Game of the Thrones. <laughs> but, and other people might know him better from 102 Dalmatians. Yeah, was... Let's hope not, though. <laughs> <laughs> Although it does pop up every Christmas. What else have you been in, Ben? Ideal. You Ideal, I did. That was good. Yeah, that was good. Pram face. Clocking off. Yeah. But yeah, so today. Um, playing on the theme of cocktails, we've got in touch with a lady called Lauren who lives in America. She runs an Instagram account called Game of Thrones Cocktails. And the... So specific, isn't it? That's me. Yeah. So specific, isn't it? But these, honestly, the photos on this account are absolutely amazing. So for every episode of Game of Thrones, she has made a cocktail that's based on various kind of nuances of the story and the characters. That's a lot of cocktails. That's about, what? about, 60, it's about 63, 67 yeah. or something. What episode... Would you make a cocktail for? Oh, I mean, it would have to be the Red Wedding. Yeah. And it would be some kind of play on a Bloody Mary. Of course it would. Yeah. 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 I would do that one where he poured the gold. Yeah, I'd make oh, like that's gold. It. Well, you put a bit of gold slime yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. Gold yeah. Slime. This is great fun. This is great. We should yeah. Do that. Yeah, let's do an EastEnders one. The one where Phil Mitchell got a bit upset. <laughs> the nasty nip. They'd be yeah. nutty. They'd be quite nutty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd have a warm nutty. bit of salty for the tea. Everyone oh, would be yeah. salty. It's the most miserable programme in the yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, so this uh, couple, Lauren and Brian, and um, she's an accountant by day. He's a doctor by day. But, but then, by night. But by night, yeah. <laughs> years ago they started having uh, viewings of Game of Thrones where all their friends would come around and then they started making a cocktail every time there was an episode on. God that's so cool. Isn't it? Cool. Yeah. In yeah. a way I mean in a way it's definitely not. But in a different way it no. definitely it's so is. Cool. It's yeah. like you know when someone knows everything about comics yeah. you think oh what a nerd but then secretly you go on now she only started this around season four but then and um, maybe you can help explain this ben but there was a very large gap i believe between season seven and season eight were you getting your hair cut? That's no, it's eight because eight's not been out yet. We've just oh. we've just done eight. That's why. Which means oh, so that's just, why. there's another year to oh, okay. come so Depending on when you listen to this, because you've kept us waiting for so long. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lauren and Brian have now gone back right to the beginning and started making episodes. But presumably the they've gone back. So they only started on four, but they've covered seasons one to three as well, have they? Yeah. So they've covered it all now. I mean, that's a book. Huh? Yeah. You can do the foreword. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I am from Game of Thrones. Drink gin. <laughs> so brilliant. I think what we'll do, just to set the scene a little bit, go play a bit of the bit of the music. Yes, the we we uh, we're going to play the theme tune to the uh, Game of Thrones. We've uh, we've looked 
uh, into paying the money for it and uh, we've clubbed all our money to get uh, as much of the tune as possible yeah we to... couldn't get it all so uh, this is all this is what we can afford here just, we go let's do, do this uh, just to set the scene here we bit. go right yeah. so Ben <laughs> good Ben what do, what do you normally drink do you drink are you a gin drinker uh, uh, no I'm not actually I mean I've more so in the last year or so my missus is more of a, a gin drinker Mm-hmm. Um, she she's got me into I've had, I've had a, I got her a bottle of this of Cannonball which Cannonball we just mentioned is. before oh, I do like that it's a demon Quite peppery isn't it yeah very peppery yeah. And it, but, it, but it was like ooh that, that's is that the Edinburgh gin yeah, Edinburgh that's, Edinburgh, yeah. that's the Edinburgh one the yeah. blue one is that the one that you drank before the navy strength and yeah it, and it all yeah my, my knees went before the gig did they because I didn't know I got a double and went try this new gin didn't tell us did they at the bar so I went alright I, I, I drink actually gin it's like, like pop it's like 40% or something it's 50 it's, is it 50? To the 55 or maybe right? it's 50 yeah. yeah yeah and I went and, and then I went ladies and gentlemen welcome <laughs> to stage Matt Reed I went to take a step in and he went whoa <laughs> and I was like oh god <laughs> so I first said I was like what are you looking at fight <laughs> <laughs> ah. So did your missus get fighty after a cannonball? No, game? she's all right after that. She'll she'll she'll, she'll savour that. Yeah. she gets a bit chippy on the shampoo. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm happy she's moved on to the oh, shampoo. Here we go, Hollywood. Hey, what? Yeah. Oh, the no, shampoos. I don't do I don't oh. do shampoos. I don't, I'd rather have a pint, mate. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Keep it nil. Well, we're gonna be, you're going to be having some gin today Great. because Lauren and Brian have really put a lot of work into this. So yes, that she's they've specifically gone to town and made you a cocktail. That's amazing. Yeah. So we, we, we told them that you were going to be a guest on the show and said, you know, could you, could you come up with, you know, maybe a little cocktail idea? We were expecting, you know, gin bitters and, and a splash of tonic with a garnish of lime. But oh my goodness, yeah. have they gone to town on this. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant. So this cocktail is a, a riff from the classic Corpse Reviver number two cocktail. I like the fact she's riffing on cocktails. <laughs> like, like, like just abandoned That's the same just She's the mild day was a gin. Yeah. Um, so she said, we chose this theme, the Corpse Reviver theme, since the Crows, i.e. the Night, Night's Watch, of which you are a member, um, tend to come across a fair number of revived corpses in the Army of the Dead. Um, we also... Uh, incorporated a black ingredient that's a uh, black licorice in the absinthe and we're also going to have some molasses in there as well absinthe um, and also a dry ingredient so the black element is a tribute to uh, Ed Tollett's home which is Castle Black and his dry sarcastic manner Great. for the dry uh, the dry ingredients it's yep. um, amazing so we're going to make that now right well we'll put that together and uh, we'll be back shortly So more or less mixed, just the shaking to do. Yeah, so I'll tell you what's gone into this. Um, so the name of this cocktail is When All Is Darkest, and that's Ooh, the words of Hans Tollett. It's good. Yeah. It's good, yeah, she knows her stuff. Yeah. Um, in here, we've got 45 millilitres of botanist gin, which is a great gin. 22.5 millilitres of lemon juice. 15 millilitres of dry curacao, if I've pronounced that All this correctly. stuff definitely sounds like Quite what was available at the top of the wall. <laughs> oh, we smashed the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> 15 millilitres of molasses syrup. Um, and then 7.5 millilitres of absinthe. Absinthe, yum. Mm. And it's 55%. So I've put all this into the shaker. Some right. cool shaking. It's good. Well done, well shaken. Thanks. Well, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know why I talk like that. Sure, he will, sure. Yeah. 
It's quite interesting. This thing Matt was pointing out before that you're pouring it through, which looks like a, a, a it looks like a it looks like a spatula with an afro, like a fish slice and yeah. a whisk. Yeah, ears. don't actually know what it's called. We'll probably find out what it's called and cut it in as if I've answered this question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the pouring. Here we go. I'm interested to see this colour. <gasps> oh, oh that's, it's very black, that's, isn't it? It's a bit greeny, isn't green, it? Green, green, green in it. Yeah. That looks. Uh, that is intriguing. Looks like yeah. swamp. Yeah, but that's great. That's. Uh, I think. I think the photo we got. I mean, she's obviously great at doing these cocktails. Did Did he mix it according to the? Well, some of my ratios might have been a bit loose. Yeah. A bit loose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know okay. why it looks um, a bit green as well? Because yeah. for the dry curacao, she recommended a certain brand. We couldn't get it unfortunately, so I've had to get a blue curacao, which has made the colour a bit, bit sort of greeny blue. But <laughs> you were riffing, weren't you? Just, just, just she'd appreciate. It. Yeah, yeah, a good riff. Let's have a little rim. Ooh. And uh, I'll plop that in. Right, so uh, Ben, as the star of the show, I think you should be the first one to try it. Just give it a go. Yeah. Yeah, just keep colouring. <laughs> you should be our look, guinea pig. Yeah, that looks cool, doesn't it? Looks like a dragon. i tell you what, there's a swirl that looks like the crown. Yeah. From... <gasps> From th- do you want to get a picture of that? Are you do you Look do you that. finally get the crown Look and normally expected, but you win you win. <laughs> ben wins Game of Thrones. Uh, I win. <laughs> right, here we go. That'll right, be close. That was just go. the end. Just you on the, on the throne going. I win. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh that dickhead. Right here we go. When all is darkest. I'm getting to do ran seed. No, there's ran seed. You know what? That's that's nice. That is it. Yeah, you can taste that. You taste the aniseed. seed. Absinthe coming through, is it? Do you know what? It's, it goes down very easy. Does it? Yeah, you'd expect it because it's because it's got s- such strong components. Yeah. yeah. I'd imagine it. Like, you go, oh, what's that? Yeah. But actually, she definitely knows our stuff. Like yeah. just looking at our, our page, so she, the cocktails she makes won't be too harsh or anything. Yeah. It's not at all. Uh, it's very nice watching. But you, you're gonna. Do you want to go? Mmm, it's like yeah. a tangy licorice all sort. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You've got like a, I've got like an orangey uh, blast coming through, and it's a. Um, Definitely like uh, licorice and the anise comes through. Oh, for that's it. the dash yeah. of orange bitters that's mm. in there at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's the orange that really yeah, makes that easier look, to yeah. drink, doesn't it? Yeah. If that was just if that was just the anise, that'd be too harsh, I think. Oh my god, that it's is nice. so nice. Dead easy, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I want to drink this. I mean, what time is it? It's five <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Fine, mate. Co- cocktail hour has yeah. changed. <laughs> oh. That is nice, absolutely that. fantastic. Yeah, proper nice. Well done. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah, thank you, uh, Lauren and Brian. That's that's the seal of approval from the Night's Watch. Daffo. So, yeah. yeah. I've got... I, I was, I, I'm glad, this is great. So you just want me here to taste your gin? Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. Yeah. I didn't know if I had to, had to come with something. No, so not I, at all. On the way, I did Google worst gin. So I thought I might offer <gasps> did something. You? Yeah. What did but, you get? Well, I didn't. I got distracted because it said worst gin. And second down in the search engine was worst ginger haircut. <laughs> third <laughs> down is worst. Third, third is worst gin ever. And the fourth one is worst ginger footballer. So, <laughs> so who is the worst ginger footballer? I don't know. Oh, you didn't actually know. No, I was like, oh, well, let's. So I'll save it for later, John. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what gin did you? What, what's your favourite gin then? Uh, my, well, wow. You know, the Cannonball was uh, one. The that Cannonball. Was I liked. Um, I tell you what, I like. Look, there's one called Lilliard. I think it's Jedba, um, and uh, that's very nice. Oh. But I think my new favourite gin <laughs> is, is this one right here. Yeah. The botanist. Ben's the, going back yeah. for more. Yeah. The botanist. I, I am actually. I'm a, probably not wise. Is it? <laughs> yeah, really I tell you what. Tell, tell the rest of you guys. We'll, we'll get them. We'll get them. We'll get them over. Again. Make, them all, yeah. make them all gins of their own. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Whoever's left, we don't know who's left. Well, 
They're not. They're not actually dead. Oh, so they could. Oh. They, they could probably what? still come on and, and do. Really? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, they might look shocked. What? Shock? What? So when they die in Game of Thrones, they don't actually die. I can't say anything. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nightmare. But um, I'm interested in what this worst gin was. I really want to Google it now, but we've got no signal no down sing- here. Worst uh, ginger football. Who is the worst ginger football? It's not Gordon Strachan. That's all I know. No, no he's this greasy. He's, 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 he's good. So. Worst ginger footballer. <laughs> I think my favourite idea that the worst ginger footballer is uh, David James, but he's not ginger. This <laughs> is when he dyed his hair ginger. <laughs> they just wanted to hit on him a bit Same. more. Well, there's Ben getting stuck back in. <laughs> it's quite dangerous, though. Yeah. It is. No, because it's one of them. Like, it's quite. It's like it's almost like you know Alka Pops when they just yes. think. Oh, I'll tell you what, have you ever you're a cheeky vimp, haven't you? Yeah. No, it's, what, no it's, I haven't. What's that? It's two parts. Is it two parts port and a bottle of blue WKD? Oh my god! Yeah. But it tastes like vimp oil. Yeah. It goes down proper, but then you. Oh. Yeah. You, you, no, no, yeah. no, 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 thanks. No. But this, this, you feel like I could sit here and like suck this now. Probably not a good idea. No. I'm, I'm on with some more. Marks out of ten for when all is darkest. Um, I am going to get like I'm not an NSC fan, but the orange really turns it around, and that's so I am going to give that a massive nine out of ten because that was delicious. That. Yeah. Ben. Well, as it's the best gin I've ever tasted, I have to give it ten. Yay! And it's specifically made for you. <laughs> as and it's specifically made. If for it was me. any less than I ten, the yeah. failed. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Well that's done to Game of Thrones yeah. cocktails. Well done. Well done Thank them. You. Who was that, Brian and? Brian and Lauren. Well done, Brian and Lauren. That was a, that is a good cocktail. Good work. Lovely yeah. stuff. And thank you, Ben. A pleasure. It's been lovely to have you. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Uh, despite the fact you didn't give us any spoilers, that we are basically the only reason we're hanging about with you. <laughs> so, and you never ever reveal anything. Rude. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much, Ben. I really appreciate you coming but, on, mate. Hey, pleasure. I like it. I like this. I, I've, I've listened to this before. I have. Aww. No, I did. I listened to the first yeah. two episodes. I listened to it in a bath, though. If anyone's listening to this and you're not in the bath, then you're missing out. I get suggest you stop what you're bath. doing. Yeah. Get yeah. in the bath. Put some water. To it, yeah. otherwise it's, it's a little bit. Unless there's somebody good. sat there now in a bath, empty with a bottle of gin. Maybe this is who this is. Maybe the this acoustics. is demographic. Yeah, it's the acoustics in the uh, in the bathroom. Yeah. So much better. Just bouncing around there with yeah. some tears and yeah. some gin. Ah, <laughs> uh, love a good gin cry. Yeah, jai, yeah. jai, jai. I think we'll all be jaying later. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank so you very much, Ben. Cheers, and uh, that's the recipe section. Well, I mean, that was an episode. Yeah, That was so much fun. All kinds of excitement in that episode. Yeah. Tell, tell me one episode better. <laughs> but more exciting than the Red Wedding. And no one, no one died. <laughs> no one died. Yeah, yeah so uh, thank you again for listening. Uh, keep your comments, suggestions coming yep. in to us. Would love some new infusions, some sort of gin-based foods, maybe. Yeah, we're going to be making gin jelly shortly. Gin so jelly! So stay tuned. Uh, next week... Stay um, tuned. Check us out later. Yes, because we're definitely doing this during wartime, where we've got to <laughs> tune in radios. Keep that wireless tuned to uh, Mother's Ruin <laughs> FM. <laughs> yeah. But you will hear from us next week. Yes, indeed you will. Mother's Room Podcast was written and performed by Matthew Reed and Sarah Dunley. Theme tune written and performed by Holly Jazz Cotzier. Mm-hmm.